Hello and welcome to the Board Shorts podcast brought to you by Get On Board Australia, the destination for new and aspiring board members and company directors. This podcast is called Board Shorts because boards and governance can sometimes be a dry topic. So I'm bringing you valuable, easy to digest information on board and company director related topics, concepts and ideas in 30 minutes or less. Whether you're looking to join a board or thrive in the boardroom, this podcast is designed just for you. My name is Lisa Cook and I'm your host. As founder and managing director of Get On Board Australia, I hope to make this podcast and the information I share valuable and useful to new and aspiring company directors and board members like you. Welcome back to another episode of the Board Shorts podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking with Kelvin Spiller. Kelvin is the author of new book, One Step Ahead, What Aspiring Leaders and CEOs need to know before, during and after their first 100 days. I'm talking with him about the model that he has developed from his experience across eight CEO roles and more than 35 board roles. In this conversation, Kelvin and I are covering the leadership model that he's developed from his experience, each of the five pillars of this model and what he calls threshold and distinguishing skills, how he came to develop this leadership model, how a board member can approach their first 100 days on a new board, some of the traps that people fall into when they move into a new leadership position, the advice that he gives to people transitioning from a doer to a leader, how a board can best support their new CEO in their first 100 days and what's been Kelvin's biggest boardroom or leadership challenge and how he overcame that. I invite you to listen to this conversation probably with a notebook and pen at the ready to take some notes about how you can ensure that your first 100 days on a board are a success and set you up for continued success on that board. Thanks for joining us today. Kelvin, thank you so much for joining me on the Board Shorts podcast today. That's okay, Lisa. I'm very happy to uh, talk with you. That's fantastic. Now, I want to, of course, start with your book, One Step Ahead. Can you briefly explain your leadership model, the five pillars, and what you call threshold and distinguishing skills? Sure. Look, the, um, the, the book focuses on five pillars, and the first three pillars are focused on uh, positioning or personally positioning yourself. And pillars number four and five are focused on uh, engaging and leading individuals, teams and others. Now, pillar number one is focused on a certain level of academic qualifications, technical skills and managerial skills. Uh, Pillar number two is focused on personal development and a level of self-mastery. And pillar number three 
is focused on having mature emotional and social intelligence skills that can enable you to do the job that you have to do. Uh, It's in this area that I find most executives have more room for development. And uh, in terms of engaging and leading others, uh, pillar number four identifies a number of skills and then, of course, that you will require to to do that. And then uh, there'll be a number of actions that you have to put in place. And and pillar number five uh, is about managing up. Now, most people I've found don't do this strategically or systematically. Uh, They'll do it in a crisis, but then, you know, everything's critical then. Um, But when people do do it, often they don't do it very well. Mm, absolutely. So is this what you call about the threshold and distinguishing skills? What yes. are they usually sure. termed as? Sure. So uh, pillar number three is is the distinguishing skill of the five pillars, and it's the one that will set you apart as a leader. Uh, as I said, uh, over the years that I've, uh, even with my own decisions and sort of observing uh Uh, other CEOs up close uh, and looking at the decisions they've made, uh, both good and bad, it's it's usually in this area of uh, emotional and social intelligence skills, there's more room for development than in the other areas. Mm, This this one pillar is crucial. Mm. And how about the distinguishing skills? Yes, well, the distinguishing skills are ones usually that you acquire and then, then also, once you acquire those skills, then it's a matter of implementing. However, the emotional and social skills really go across the broad range of the other pillars, and they are the ones that you are required to understand how to motivate yourself, how to motivate other people. Uh, you are required to understand, you know, what you and know what your own triggers, emotional triggers are, and the emotional triggers of other people. And also in terms of social intelligence, uh, being able to, when you come into a room, pick up the nuances, uh, be able to uh, work out your blind spots and uh, also to um, just be able to have some presence in the room and to be able to influence other people. Mm -hmm. All critical skills that I see that board members should have. Yes, they are. And... Those, I guess you can call them soft skills, uh, are the, the more experience and exposure that I have to leaders in the board environment, the more I realise that they, that having strong, I guess we'll call it emotional intelligence, high levels of emotional intelligence, are really what sets great leaders and board members apart from just average Yes, it is. And quite often uh, directors are appointed to boards because of a particular skill set or experience that they've had over a number of years. So they're often experts in their area. However, the key skill that's required is, as I said before, uh, to be able to have emotional and social skills that are mature enough to match the often the complicated or complex leadership role that you have. And I mean, that is different for different roles and for different people, obviously. But the days are gone when people can just sort of skim through 
uh, without having some skills in this area. So it's not good enough any longer to just say, well, look, this is my style, this is me, take it or leave it, this is what you got or what you get, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's not good enough nowadays. And, and even with um, technological uh, advances, it's even more important than ever before that people have these uh, softer skills. Absolutely. And I, I've i been um, exposed to uh, a senior leader, let's call them, um, that is very competent in the, I guess you could call it the expertise that would be needed in that job. However, they really lack in those softer skills. They, they can't read the room. They deliver their message in a, a way that's um, very direct, that's very blunt, that's very matter of fact, that's like, why don't you already know this sort yes. of thing? And and makes a lot of what you could call minor errors and missteps, but because they're connected mm-hmm. to those um, softer skills, let's yes. call them, it starts to then make you question their overall competence. Mm-hmm. Look, it does. And in fact, uh, maybe another way of saying that too is that a just because someone is good at something technically doesn't mean to say that they're going to be a good leader. Now, good leaders need good technicians and good technicians need good leaders. But there's not necessarily a direct link that if you are a good technician, that you will be a good leader. Because you will, just to give you an example, I mean, someone, for instance, who is an expert in finance at, say, level number 10 will probably uh, prefer working in the back room with no interruptions and just understanding this mass of data that they have. Mm -hmm. Now, that is uh, polar opposite to uh, working in an office uh, with a number of other people uh, and being able to uh, build rapport and create relationships with them to be able to influence them. So once again, if you go back and you look at the technical person, may have all the data, may have all the facts. However, if they're not able to influence the correct people that they want to, then it doesn't matter how technically smart they are, they will never be seen to be successful because they're not able to influence people. So, you know, you do need to be able to, with the softer skills, that's the emotional and social intelligence, to be able to uh, read a room. You need to be able to uh, understand, you know, what the nuances are and pick up the sort of the subliminal messages. And you need to be able to, you know, put yourself in the other person's shoes. And then you need to be able to uh, create rapport and build relationships if you are going to be able to influence them. And if this is like a really important matter, then it's absolutely essential. It's not It's not you should have them. It's an essential to have a, mo- a high level of emotional and social intelligence skills. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I see it play out in the board space so often when we put so much emphasis on someone's <clears throat> qualifications or post-nominals or even success in their professional career and think that that directly translates to them being a a great board member or being able to be a great board member. Absolutely. And look, it's it's probably a bit similar uh, 
to even in the workforce itself and, and at the operational level with senior executives and CEOs. Often somebody will be appointed as a CEO and uh, it's because of their technical experience as opposed to their leadership ability. And, uh, you know, that you'll, you, I'm sure you will know many examples where, where that doesn't work. Absolutely. And then we wonder why they're not successful. That's right. So, so linking this all back to the model, what I've found in my experience, as I said before, that mm-hmm. um, the, the area where most executives have uh, room for development um, is in this uh, skill, this distinguishing skill, which is pillar number three. And uh, if, if you can really uh, understand yourself at a higher level, in terms of you know what motivates you and what triggers your emotions, and then uh, be able to uh, influence other people at a strategic level, and you need to be able to listen, and that's one of those softer skills. You may need to be able to listen to what people are saying, and then you need to be able to strategically uh, communicate, not just use your natural style, whatever that might be, and just mm-hmm. blurt something out. You need to be able to. That's me. Know, <laughs> you need to be able to um, communicate strategically. Yes, a skill that I'm always trying to develop further, Kelvin. <laughs> well, I, th- I think I think we probably all are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm glad I'm not alone. So this whole leadership model that you present in your book, how did you come to develop it? Sure. Look, um, it was probably about 10 years ago um, when uh, I started to become um, I suppose the words overwhelmed really with the amount of uh, information that's available on the web in relation to leadership and my consultancy business um, is called Leadership Thinking Australia so I'm, I've been focused on leadership for many years and just to give you an example if you google um, leadership development uh, there are 1.4 billion, not million, but billion references or articles on the web in relation to leadership development. I know wow. it's staggering. Huge. And then if you Google team development, there are 4.9 billion wow. articles. So between leadership development and team development, there are in excess of 6 billion articles that you can have access to uh, simply on the web. Now, that's just astonishing. Um, so it, it was at that time that um, my wife, Beverly, and I were, were trying to um, make sense of all the information that we had in our consultancy and work out uh, a framework uh, that really um, consisted of a number of pillars that represented um my career, if you like, and the um, the the actions that I'd uh, taken and the tools that I used. And so we developed this framework uh, of these five pillars, w- which I felt represented, you know, w- what I had experienced and, and what I had done. And so uh, these uh, these pillars, I now use them as an anchor point for my executive coaching and for the team leadership um, development workshops that I facilitate. Well, it was quite surprising when I googled leadership development and team development. I, I mean, I I didn't get that information from anybody else. I was I just thought I wonder how many articles there are, 
and I was absolutely astounded. So it was no wonder that I sort of felt was feeling a bit overwhelmed myself because I used to try and read everything that was in relation to leadership and everybody had a different idea and everybody had a different priority. And the way to, I felt for me anyway, was to get some real meaning was look at the things that had worked for me in my Mm -hmm. uh, career uh, over the, um, and now it's uh, eight CEO roles, plus I've been on more than 35 um, government-related business or community boards or committees, and I've been able to be up close and personal, if you like, to uh, Mm -hmm. CEOs in those board portfolios, and I've been able to observe their styles uh, and also reflect, of course, on my own good and bad decisions over the years. So I've, uh, I've had no shortage of, <laughs> of material to, uh, to, to, to look, look at and to think about and to reflect on. That's always the best way to learn <laughs> what <Yeah>. not to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it's uh, what, what I was wanting to do was to really record um, some of that information in uh, my book, uh, one, one Step Ahead, and uh, it, it's... Um, uh, something that I'm really keen on sharing with, you know, a number of or as many people as I can. Yeah, I found like, it very pragmatic, practical approach. So I would have been grateful uh, 25 years ago if I'd had access to my much older self. And, <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's, uh, you know, what, how do they say that? You can't put an old head on young shoulders. So. No, unfortunately not. Yeah. Um, and but, but, hindsight's but, always twenty twenty. <laughs> Yes, but well, look, what I do know is is that if you have access to um, somebody who has had experiences, like through an executive coach, I know that this can fast track your own career development. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. And if you can't see them in person, get their book. Absolutely. www.kelvinspiller.com. Good plug. Good plug. (laughs) So you've had a combination of both board and CEO roles. How would the first 100 days on a board differ from the first 100 days in other leadership positions? Well, it wouldn't really differ because the the principles are the same for any new position that you take on. For instance, there's about three or four areas that you need to look at. The first is you need to have a very clear understanding of the parameters of this new role that you've been appointed to in the case of a board. And then you need to have a, a clear understanding of the, the technical um, and sort of key operational aspects uh, of the organisation that the board is responsible for. And and by that, I mean, you need to have a a global uh, picture of the finances, uh, the risks, uh, the opportunities for the business, and also understand the legal requirements. And the third area is that you need to um, be, be able to clearly identify the personal styles Um, of the people that you're working closely with. And this is important because you need, if you're going to build rapport and create relationships with people, then you need to understand what are their preferred styles of leadership and their preferred styles of communication. And, um, And you're doing all of this, of course, to build the highest level of trust that you can with those people that you're working closely with. And if you can do that, 
then the board can operate at maximum potential. But if you have a board that you have directors that don't really understand or accept, accept that everyone around the table has a different viewpoint, has a different, comes from different backgrounds, different technical experiences, uh, different life experiences and different business experiences and different educational experiences, then if you don't accept that, well, then you're going to be battling to influence them when you would like them to support something that you think should be done. So that's where, once again, emotional and social intelligence really comes to the fore. Yeah, and makes such a difference because you can be the smartest person around the table, but if you're just getting it wrong every step of the way and being yes. arrogant and not adapting and, and integrating into that sub-community, it's like a little community around the board table, then you're right, you're always going to be fighting. That's right. And I mean, you well may you you may well be the smartest person in the room, but if other people don't recognise that, well, it doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> you, you, you won't be seen to be successful. And, and as I said before, the same thing applies to senior executives, whether you be an executive leader or you be a CEO. Mm. Same, the same principles apply. Yeah, absolutely. So what... Where do you start when you give advice to people who are transitioning from um, the doer, so we, we think about someone in the workplace as, as a leader, sure. to more of the, the leader and overseer like what we are in the board capacity? So the difference there between, say, the doer and the leader, uh, if, if you, and you have to make that transition from being a doer or a manager, if you like, a manager of processes uh, or a technician, uh, mm -hmm. to a leader. The real differences are that leaders are focused uh, on vision for the company and they're focused um, uh, on looking to the future, whereas a doer is more focused on solving problems and um, thinking about the here and now and today and, and this week. Now, a leader also will put their most of their energy into motivating and inspiring the people around them to do the jobs they have to do, whereas a doer is more inclined to focus on monitoring and controlling uh, performances, I guess, and or performance and and processes. Mm -hmm. So, um, but uh, uh, and as we said earlier, a good doer or technician doesn't necessarily make a good leader, mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, it's quite often a difficult transition to go from a technician to directly to a leader. Uh, however, a, a great leader needs to have a good understanding of what a doer does, mm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Very true. So when, when that person is transitioning towards being that leader, what's usually the first place where they start to, to make that mindset shift away from the doing and the monitoring to the leading and inspiring and motivating towards a vision? Okay. Well, look, th this with most people w would occur over a period of time. There's no doubt about that. It's very – if you are trained as a technician, in other words, a technical expert, uh, it's very difficult just – on the next day then to jump into a leadership position. Mm. And so this is where experience comes in. So people will then hopefully learn by the experiences that they have in a management position mm -hmm. that there are some things that they need to do differently in a management position because they're actually not just 
controlling um, processes, they're also managing people. And so this is where they need to learn to develop some people skills. Now, then, the, and, and this, this may take, depending on the circumstances and also on the capacity of the person, but it could take weeks, months, or in some cases, even years, and in some cases, never. Mm. <laughs> some people um, really will pride themselves on saying, well, my technical experience and expertise is the best thing, and uh, that's, that's held me in good stead, uh, and that's what I'm going to rely on. But in actual fact, if they are over uh, or if they've made a transition to a management position or even to a, a higher leadership position, then they're going to find that those skills that they've had, whilst they've served them well in the past, won't necessarily be the skills that they need to uh, help them be successful in the future. Mm, understand. And we all need the doers. Oh, ab absolutely we do. Uh, in fact, um, if we don't have doers, nothing gets done. Absolutely. <laughs> you just have a bunch of people leading and managing others that are leading and managing. That's right. And, and, and really to be able, and all leaders need followers. And so you, you, you need, obviously, uh, lots of people that, and it's okay to be a follower. And, and many people do not want to hold uh, a leadership position as such or to take on the responsibility of a leadership position. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean to say that they won't be good followers. Mm -hmm. so, so once that, once people are happy in what they're doing and motivated in what they're doing and doing the best in that particular job, well, then that could well be the best thing for them for a long time. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that at and all. And there's definitely nothing wrong with that at all. Mm. And for so some people, that's good. And for other people, you know, they want something different. So when you think back over your career and all of the people that you help to be and to become great leaders, what do you think is that number one skill or attribute that every great leader has or should really focus on developing? Okay, so the lead-in to, uh, to the answer to that question is that leadership uh, requires, in my view, more than one skill. It's, it's a situational thing uh, where there's a combination of skills required uh, to be used at different times. However, uh, if I was to pinpoint one attribute or one key skill, I would, I would probably say inspiration or being inspirational uh, because by being inspirational, you give hope for the future and you actually encourage people to follow you. Uh, the other three skills that I would attach to that as a package uh, would be integrity, self-awareness and empathy. Mm -hmm. And I think if you've got those four skills, um, inspiration, uh, integrity, um, self-awareness and empathy, uh, there's not a challenge in your leadership uh, career that you won't be able to, uh, you know, come to terms with. Mm, I love that because I would, when you said inspiration, I thought, well, what's inspiring to me is not inspiring to another person. And I think when you then have that empathy and self-awareness and those other um, accompanying skills that that would enable you to be able to relatively quickly grasp what is inspiring to the people you are leading. 
Yeah, so look, just to explain a little bit more, the last two skills of self-awareness and um, and empathy are um, pillars number two and pillars number three that we mm. referred to before. It's about personal development and self-mastery and then also uh, emotional and social intelligence skills. And integrity, of course, covers everything from trusting to, to being honest and to being transparent, you know, like so integrity in my mind covers a lot of those other those other uh, skill sets. Uh, and then, of course, inspiration. Well, um, I know that some leaders can lead from, prefer to lead from the back, and I know that some prefer to lead from the front. But mm-hmm. I think that if you really want to get the best results, then if you've got someone who's prepared to lead from the front that can actually inspire the, the people that work for them, and by that I mean, you know, give them a hope and a vision of the future. Uh, you, you will automatically encourage them to follow you. Mm. Mm. Just that easy. <laughs> it does sound easy, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and you know what? It can be done. Uh, I've had um, many instances over the years where I've had, um, well, up to 3,000 uh, staff at one particular time, and um, I know that it can be done. Mm. But it is surprising how many senior executives and even CEOs who really um, are not as successful as they could be because they do not understand the importance of social and emotional intelligence. And I was reading some statistics just recently where uh, from Harvard they're saying that 70% of senior executives think they're in the top 10%. It's interesting, isn't it? That is very and, interesting. And, and what that what that sh- shouts out loud and clear is that there's a very uh, high level of sort of um, unawareness of your, of people's style, and not only of their own style, but also on the impact or the impact that their style has on those people that are around them. Absolutely, absolutely. And too many times I've seen people in leadership positions rely on their title and assume that that's going to give give them the respect from the people who are meant to be following them. Look, that's correct. And uh, in this day and age, of course, um, everybody is knowledgeable. You only need to have an iPhone and within give me 30 seconds and I can probably give you the answer to almost any question. Mm. So, um, you know, you, you, you can't fool people nowadays um, and you do need to be open and honest but if you can inspire them and you have personal integrity and you are self-aware about your own style and the impact that that has on other people and you're you're able to show empathy in other words just put yourself in someone else's shoes you know that that is the skill set that really is important absolutely self-awareness i just bang on that one all the time. Yes. So critical. Um, But I wanted to shift perspective now. We've talked a lot about what we can do ourselves to um, be successful in leadership positions, but how would a board best support, uh, say, a new CEO coming into the role uh, in their first 100 days? Sure. There's a few things that a board can do. Collectively as a team, they can uh, give their view to the new CEO in relation to the strategic direction and the um, operational uh, issues. In addition to that, they'll all have their own view, um, which will be different, 
uh, about a range of um, strategic and operational matters. So I think at two levels, at a collective level, they need to provide that feedback to the new CEO. At an individual level, the directors uh, should also uh, speak to the CEO about their perception of the finances, uh, their perception of the risks, their perception uh, of the you know, legal requirements and the and the opportunities. Uh, they also um, can support the CEO by uh, helping the CEO to um, get some external assistance in the form of an executive coach or to become a member of an executive uh, or CEO peer group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, most CEOs that I know of uh, have access to uh, a coach or, so, or a mentor that's um, outside of their their organisation. That it's also important at an individual level that the directors uh, share their uh, expectations with the CEO. Uh, and, and by saying that, I don't mean the formal uh, key performance indicators. Mm-hmm. I mean personal expectations. Things like uh, turnaround time, for instance. If they make a request to the CEO, then Everybody will have a different um, expectation as to when the CEO should get back to them. Now, with some, it'll be that afternoon. With others, it'll be within 24 hours. And with others, it'll be before close of business on Friday. So Mm -hmm. unless you actually clarify that with the CEO or the CEO, and if if the board director doesn't clarify that with the CEO, then the CEO must take the initiative and clarify that with the board director because otherwise they'll always – they'll be seen not to be successful by some of the directors because they'll just have different expectations of Mm. one another. So Mm. another expectation would be um, the preferred way of communicating with a board director. Now, some directors will be just happy to have the information by email. Some might say, look, um, how about if you text me? I lead a busy life. When I pick my phone up, I... I'm happy to see a text giving me that information. I don't have to go into my emails. It's right there before me. Someone else will say, look, I prefer you to give me a phone call. So once again, uh, as a CEO, you need to know what is the preferred method of communication of each of the directors. And and once again, if if you don't take that opportunity to clarify that, well, then you can always be missing the target. Um, I think also that... um, you need to be able to, as a director, sh- you can show support individually by just checking in regularly with the CEO. And uh, if you uh, give them a chance to uh, provide you some feedback, and it also gives you a chance to share some feedback with them at an informal level. And instead of the director appearing to be uh, interfering in the operations of the organisation, the director will be seen to be supportive of the CEO. So it's just a matter of how you go about that. So there's, you know, four or five things that directors can do quite specifically to uh, support a new CEO. Yeah, that's great. I can understand that even the board themselves setting their expectations around communication Uh, not only just feedback from the CEO, so communication to and from that person, but also as a group as well, a lot of what I hear from board members is some frustration around their communication and the communication channels to and from the CEO as well. Most definitely, Lisa. I would say 
in my experience, most problems and most issues come about because of inappropriate um, communication and um, it's essential that you understand because you can imagine if a director rings this morning and says, look, I would like some information on X, Y and Z and you do not understand uh, the importance of uh, and the turnaround time that that person expects of you, mm-hmm. then you, if you get back with that information that, that, that day, well, then that's good and that's a tick. But if, but if 24 hours... Um, if it takes you 24 hours to get it, well, then you can say, well, look, I've got it back to you within 24 hours. But if that person's got an expectation that you get back within that same working day, well, then you're not going to be seen successful. So you do need to understand in general terms what are the sort of personal expectations of each of the directors on the board because they're all different people. Mm. As we said before, they come from different backgrounds, uh, different educational um, levels and just different experiences in business and life and and so uh, different people will have different expectations yeah and like with any relationship when you when you actually talk about the expectations that you have of each other you're then more likely to meet those and create a higher functioning more pleasant relationship with whoever that other person or people are most definitely. And, and if someone, say, for instance, has an expectation that if they get speak to you this morning and they want to request, put in a request for information and they're expecting something this afternoon and you're aware of that as CEO, then you're able, you're in a position to be able to say, well, look, um, director, I know that this is what you want and I know that this is when you want it. However, I'm not able to do that. Mm. Uh, however, what I can do is this and this and this, and I will make sure that uh, that information is back with you by tomorrow afternoon. Mm. Now, in the meantime, if you have something that uh, requires some information today, you know, I can suggest A, B and C. So it, it gives you options. Mm. But if you, if you don't understand w- what the expectation of the director is, well, then you are running... Um, a big chance that you will not be seen to be successful in terms of handling that request. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Um, so final question for you today, Kelvin. I want to shine the spotlight on you. What has been your biggest boardroom or leadership challenge and how did you overcome it? Okay. Um, look, uh, undoubtedly uh, it would be when I was CEO of a community elected board or a local government council, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and can I answer the question this way, that quite often um, relationships are just simply, you know, too fractured and they're too burnt to be able to be healed. And sometimes that um, when you have different uh, political ideologies and theories, that there's no meeting ground you know, there's no common meeting ground. Now, in this particular instance, this um, council was facing allegations of bullying and also uh, there was a lot of um, personal, factional and party politics involved. Um, and so the uh, state government appointed a commissioner to conduct an inquiry and that resulted in a recommendation to the government to dismiss the council and sack the councillors who were on the board wow. of that council. 
And uh, my role as CEO uh, was to provide stability and leadership and direction over many months while that uh, crisis was occurring at board level because these things don't happen just within days or weeks, as I'm sure you would understand. It will often take a period of six months of um, some sort of bad behaviour uh, before finally uh, a final action is, is put in place. So, mm-hmm. so with that organisation, we had uh, 1,500 staff and um, so that was it was a, a large organisation. So there was a, certainly a big responsibility to keep every, the strategic direction moving forward and, of course, with the operations, everything had to be moving forward on a daily basis. Mm. So how did you do that? Well, <laughs> yeah, did I? well, look. Long I think, story. Well, well, look. I think probably in short, I'd say that it was a good um, a chance for uh, me to learn uh, my, I suppose, the level of emotional and social intelligence skills that I had, and in in some areas, I was definitely lacking. Uh, and uh, I think I was able to learn from experience. Um, of some decisions I made which were good and others which were not so good mm-hmm. um, and I accept that uh, and I think that at the time I probably didn't realise um, just uh, the extent of all the learning that I was getting but when the event was over and I reflected on it and as the years have gone by, it was a great opportunity for personal uh, growth and personal development and, and learning um, and I'd like to think that I haven't made too many of those same mistakes since then. Yes, I doubt it. <laughs> I think you're very self-aware, Kelvin. <laughs> well, I've survived, put it that way. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. It's always great to hear stories from the actual experiences that people have, especially on boards and in leadership roles. So thank you very much for sharing today. If people want to get in touch with you to find your book, One Step Ahead, how can they do that? Yes, look, um, One Step Ahead uh, is um, or can be purchased by just simply visiting www.kelvinspiller.com.au and um, it can be in the mail to you within a couple of days. Perfect. Well, thank you very much again, Kelvin. It was great to chat with you today. It certainly was. Thanks very much, Lisa. You've reached the end of another episode of the Board Shorts podcast. Connect with us at getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast, where you can leave your requests for future guests and topics to cover. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive information and resources to help you thrive in the boardroom. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes or your preferred podcast listening app to subscribe, rate and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.